I want to go backwards. So just to let you know that there's lots more Christmas candy to, to give away, but I do have a limited supply. <laughs> so I'm happy to share it with all of you. Not, not a problem. Um, let's pray. Lord God, as we turn to your word, we trust and we know that you will speak to us. And we know that um, your Holy Spirit will quicken your word in our own lives so that hearing we understand, and understanding we act in faithfulness and obedience to you. So help us to hear and understand this morning. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been in the book of Matthew, and uh, first of all, thank you. I, when I was supposed to preach a couple of weeks ago, um, Drew stood in for me and did a great job, and I just want to say thank you for Drew, wherever he is, he's here this morning someplace. Uh, so thank you, Drew. Um, it is a good preaching team because uh, we keep in close contact with each other. We get together and we share food and dessert, thanks to Bonnie. And, and, uh, and it's, it's good. And the guys pray for each other and are kept keep in touch with each other. Mark Barnes is not here today because he was not feeling well. No COVID, just not feeling well but feeling better today, he said. So, thanks. It's good to be here with you all. So, in the Gospel of Matthew, and, and I'm, I'm right away, I'm getting out of sync with what I have down for you all, but I thought I really should start with this. What are these chapters about? Chapters 1 and 2, because that's what we've been doing. And I'll tell you one way to figure this out, what, the, what they're really about, is how often words are repeated. What is the most repeated word in these chapters? I'll tell you. You don't have to look. It's the child. Okay? The child. So say it with me. In, in 12 verses, the child is mentioned 10 times. 10 times. So say it with me. The child, the child, the child, the child, the child... The child, the child, the child, the child, the child. What are the verses? What are chapters one and two about? Child. You think? <laughs> but it's hard to understand that because it's also about Mary and also about Joseph and also about Herod. But it's about the child. Because you know what the Gospel of Matthew is about? The child. Right? Okay. So having said that, I'm going to start in with where we are. And I'm going to pick up where Drew left off. <clears throat> I'm going through puberty. Drew <laughs> left off, uh, which is the end of Matthew uh, uh, chapter 218. And I think this button is forward. Yes. Okay. And, and there's a reason... Uh, for starting with this verse. You'll find out in a minute. A voice was heard in Ramah. Ramah is near Jerusalem. Okay, very close. Weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel. Rachel is the mother of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, okay? 
and Benjamin and Joseph. And um, Rachel's been dead for, you know, over a thousand years, okay? So a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel, who's been dead, which tells you something about how, how much grief is happening here. It's like, it's like when we say someone's turned over in their grave, right? When, when you hear something really horrible, man, they're turned over in their grave. And, and Rachel is weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Because Herod had come out and killed the children. And this was of great consequence. Horrible. Would you agree? Horrible. Of course, we kill children today with abortion. And do we weep? I don't know. Is anybody weeping from their grave? I don't know. But it's horrible here. And Matthew knows that. And so he brings up this passage. And he wants us all to know that it is deeply consequential so that Rachel from her grave is weeping for these children. It's a horrible, horrible thing. And then the text I'm preaching one with begins right here. But, the word but in Greek is, is a conjunction. And it's meant to express a simple contrast or continuation. And it really should be translated in contrast. But in contrast when Herod died. So in contrast to what? In contrast to the weeping. In contrast to the consequential death of these children that people knew about, and even Rachel from a thousand years ago, weeping in heaven for these babies. Highly consequential. But in contrast, in contrast when Herod died, in contrast when Herod died, nothing. No weeping. Remember what Mark said when he preached that in, um, down in Jericho, that the stadium would be filled. Herod wanted the stadium, when he died, wanted the stadium filled with people so that when he died, they would all be killed in that stadium and there would be weeping as if they were weeping for him. But that never happened. And, but in contrast, when Herod dies, not a tear. In contrast, when Herod dies, no voice crying out. In fact, the last time that Herod is called king is in chapter 2, verse 9. From that point on, Herod is no longer called king. He's just Herod. Herod the Great. You know, history knows him as Herod the Great. But when Herod, not Herod the Great, not King Herod, just Herod. When Herod dies, not a tear. No great. So far as we know, not even a funeral procession. Children, great contrast. Great consequence. Herod, nothing. And then the interesting way, as if to punctuate it, to punctuate Herod's death, it, he uses the word died. Herod died. Now that word died is used twice in this passage that I'm going to read. The second time, it actually means death. It just means died. They died. 
But this word died doesn't mean that. It means it by implication. It means it by, uh, it, I mean, it does mean that, but it, 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 means, it means more than that. And this is what, this is, this is what an actual uh, Greek scholar says in, in one of the dictionaries. It means to end, to finish, to complete, absolutely to end or to die. So Matthew is saying, look, Herod is dead. Oh, he's not just dead. He's come to an end. It's not just come to an end. His life is finished. His life isn't just finished. It is completed. It is absolutely gone. And it makes no difference to us because we're glad he's gone. And nobody's weeping and nobody's crying. And it's not Herod the Great. In fact, he's not even king. And when I read that, and I understood the meaning of died, I thought of a movie that some of you might have watched. And, and, uh, and, and this is it. It's Dorothy. And when the wicked witch dies, the munchkins goes, is she morally, ethically, spiritually, physically, positively, absolutely, undeniably, and reliably dead? Right? And then, and then the coroner comes up, and the coroner says, as coroner, I must aver, I thoroughly examined her. And she's not only merely dead, she's really most sincerely dead. Do you understand what Matthew's trying to say? And it is of no consequence. He's just dead. So why am I spending so much time on this one verse? Because Matthew is trying to draw our attention to a fact. The death of children is always consequential. If you have lost a child, you know that. If you've lost a nephew or a niece or a grandchild or maybe just a good friend or a child in the church, you know how consequential that is. It is devastating, is it not? Devastating. The death of Herod the Great, Matthew's saying, is of no consequence, and no one cares. He'll just be followed by Archelaus, his brother, in this passage, and Archelaus is equally as bad, and who cares? But this is why. Matthew is now ready to tell us why Jesus' death is so incredibly what? consequential. The death of Jesus really matters. It makes a huge difference. Death of the children make a difference. Herod, no difference. Jesus' death. I'm going to tell you why the death of Jesus is so incredibly consequential. And we're going to be preaching through the rest of Matthew as a, as a preaching team. And, and the death of Jesus is not only consequential to the Jewish nation, but to the Gentile nation as well. Consequential to all the earth. So let's go on. But in contrast, when Herod died, behold, pay attention. Remember that word behold means pay attention. Okay? Pay attention. I wish they just translated it that way. Pay attention. angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. In these two chapters, chapter 1, chapter 2, 
Do you know how many times that word behold is used? Three times. Four dreams, three beholds, okay? Behold, behold, behold. Three times. So I want to look at these, at these um, three instances because they're really important. Three times in the first two chapters, pay attention to what we ought we to do. Pay attention to these three things. And remember what the book is about. It's about who? The child. Okay? The whole thing is about the child. So pay attention. Now, there's an interesting thing. Because in each of the pay attentions, there's, there's a common theme to each of them. One, Joseph is spoken to alone. The angel each time comes to Joseph alone. Not to Joseph and Mary. Not to Joseph and the child. Not to Joseph and the family. To Joseph. Two. They are, all, um, they are all instructions about how Joseph is to lead and protect his family. Each time, behold, Joseph, here's how you are to lead your family. Each time, behold, Joseph, here's how you are to protect your family. And then the third thing that is true for all three beholds is they all require the obedience of Joseph. If Joseph does not obey, what happens? He's not leading his family. If Joseph does not po- uh, obey, he is not protecting his family. And we're going to look at each of those beholds uh, for each one very briefly. The first one in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Behold, pay attention, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So earlier we read that Joseph is betrothed to Mary, right? Betrothal in the ancient world is the same thing as is engagement only. It's engagement on steroids. This is how my wife usually says it. When you are betrothed, you are basically married without the benefits of marriage. Right? You understand what I'm saying? We still have children in here, so I won't get specific. Okay? But you have, you have marriage, but you can't be together. Right? So to get, you can't just break an engagement or betrothal. You have to divorce in that culture. Okay? So um, the punishment for getting pregnant outside of marriage is death. Although by the time Joseph is there, you could divorce your wife quietly. And the angel says, no, Joseph, you're not going to do that because you're going to lead and you're going to protect your family. And here's how you're going to do it, Joseph. You're going to take Mary as your wife. And so now, everything that is aimed at Mary, because Pregnancy in our culture outside of marriage is like, okay, but in that culture, it's horrible. And you can be stoned. So everything that is going to be directed at Mary for being pregnant is now going to be aimed at Joseph as well. So can you see how he's going to protect her? Because he's, she's not going to take it alone. I'm going to take it. And I'm there for Mary. And I'm going to be a shield about her. God says, I will be a shield about you. So Joseph is going to do with Mary what God does for us. God is a shield about us. He is going to be that shield. 
that takes all the darts and all the ammunition, all the gunfire. It's going to come at Joseph. He'll take it. He's going to share it in the shame. He's going to share in the gossip. Right? And trust me, there's gossip in little towns, do you think? Right? There's a lot of gossip. They're going to be, it's going to be stuff like this. Yeah, we know why they moved the wedding up. Sure, God. That's why she's pregnant. And Joseph is there to take it all. Why? Because the angel said you're going to be a protector. Second, the angel says you shall call his name Jesus. A father in that culture alone names the child. Which I wish Bonnie and I would have known because we sat in a, in a hotel room after Bonnie gave birth to our third child. We, the, 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 um, the hospital room, sorry, in the hospital room. And the nurse kept coming in going, do you have a name? We were like, nope, nope. <laughs> and Bonnie would say something, say, nope. And I'd say something, she'd go, nope. And we're like, oh my goodness, how can it be that hard? So the angel is really helpful here. <laughs> and and, and <laughs> the angel says, okay, we're going to take care of this real quick. You're going to name Jesus. So by doing this, though, here's what's significant, is Joseph is adopting Jesus. Because the father names the child. And that's what Joseph is doing. So he's giving him, so, so think of how he's protecting his family, taking Mary, going to be a shield, going to take all the ammunition, all the shooting, it's going to come at him. He's giving the, the child what? A family. Give Mary a family. The greatest way to protect children, let me say it again, the greatest way to protect children in any culture is to give them a family. Greatest way to protect children is give them a loving family, and this is what Joseph does. So I'm just giving. I mean, there's a thousand ways you can say this. I'm just gonna run through it real quick. Children who are in families are more confident and less anxious in unfamiliar settings, which they're gonna go to Egypt. So this is gonna be important for Jesus. They're better able to deal with frustration. They're better able to gain a sense of independence. They're more likely to become compassionate adults. They're more likely to have higher uh, grade point averages. They're more sociable. We could add to that list, but I don't want to spend that much time on it. You know the point. The greatest way for Joseph to protect Mary and to revive for Jesus and to protect Jesus is to say, we are a family. So let's go to the second behold now. The second behold is right here. Did I go too far? That's it. Uh, behold, and the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Rise, you take, in the Greek, it's, oh, you, that's how you would translate it exactly. Uh, you take the child and his mother. You flee to Egypt, and you remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. So three verbs. You take, you flee, you remain. And that verb remain there means uh, to stay, to remain, or exist. 
God tells Joseph why he has to go. Herod's coming after you and coming after the child. But the angel does not tell Joseph how long he has to stay there in Egypt. How long? Year? Two years? Three years? What am I going to do? Am I just supposed to wait? Oh, that idea of waiting is really important. We're going to come back to that. So, I want you to notice something here. Joseph has to save who? The child. Which places a high value on children, doesn't it? Joseph has to be, now listen to this, Joseph has to be a savior to the savior. Isn't that great? He's going to save the savior. That's his job. To protect, to save. Now listen, men out there, women, you too, but especially men, this affirms, reveals, and illuminates the role of the father. Let me say it again, so important. This affirms, it reveals, and it illuminates the role of the father. The first behold required Joseph to protect the child by giving him a family. Stay with your wife, men. Work it out. Make it happen. Stay with your wife. Joseph had to protect the child by making a family. And now he's required to protect the family by taking him to Egypt and to waiting. Do some of you move because of your family? Because of your kids? Or do you move because it's about you? I'm not saying it's wrong to move because you got a better job, but you have to remember your primary job is to protect your family and provide for your family. So here's my question, men. What do your families, what in your families do you need to protect and save right now? Do you know where your family's at spiritually? Do you know where your family's at Emotionally, are you close? Are you not close? What kid is moving away? What kid is just kind of out on their own? Where's your wife at, men? What do you have to do to bring your wife back in, to emotionally connect, to physically connect, to be there? What is putting your family in danger? Do you know what is putting your family in danger? Because your job is to take and protect your family. That's what Joseph has taught are you listening to God and God's word, men? So now let's go to the third behold. Behold, pay attention. An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, rise, the child and, and his mother, and, do, and, and, and go. I, it looks like I'm missing some words there. Rise and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. There's a second word for dead, and that word for dead just means dead. The angel came to Egypt. Do you know why the angel came to, to Joseph in Egypt? Because that's where Joseph was told to go. And that's where Joseph went. 
And, you know, he stayed there. He just existed there. He waited there. And while he waited there, he had to do two things. Okay? The first thing he had to do is he had to wait. And I just want to say something. I hate waiting. I want you to raise your hands on this. How many of you like waiting in the DMV? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you like waiting in traffic? Raise your hand. How many of you like waiting in a long grocery store line when the person in front of you has like an overflowing cart of groceries and you're not thinking Christian thoughts? Because <laughs> the, the sign says, 10 items only. <laughs> you're, you're going... Those are not 10 items. That's 15. I hate waiting. Now, I want you to go next step with me. Look at me. You know what I do most of my life? Wait. Because if I say to somebody, could you give me a glass of water right now? You know what I have to do? I have to wait. If I get served a plate of food... You know how I have to get cut? I have to wait. I wait. My existence is waiting. But the Lord is teaching me some lessons about waiting. And I want to share them with you. The first lesson I've learned is that people serve. When you have to wait, you learn that people serve. That's what you learn. Because if people didn't serve... I wouldn't have anything. I wouldn't even got dressed this morning. But they served. Second thing I learned about waiting. That my needs will be taken care of. It's true. I wait for a lot of things. But my needs will be taken care of. Somebody will serve me and somebody will take care of my needs. The third thing I've learned. There are, there are more important needs than mine. Arlene was 96 years old when she died, or just about. And when I came to a family function with Arlene, it didn't matter if I got served first, because my needs were not the most important. It doesn't matter if the kids get served first, because my needs are not the most important. Waiting helps me realize that there are more important needs than mine. And my needs. I've learned a lot of things. I'm going to got a couple more for you. I've learned to spend the time waiting, praying. So I want to explain this. I always wake up before Bonnie. Always. Sometimes an hour before Bonnie. And I have a choice at that point. I could, I could go over, hey, are you awake? <laughs> Bonnie, are you awake? Hey, did the alarm go off? I said, I'm not going to do that. Because my needs are not the most important. It's important she gets her sleep. So what I've learned to do, and I, I really love this time, I pray. I get that time to just be comfortable and warm in bed next to somebody I love and pray. I have learned in the other situations of waiting to pray. Waiting is such a great time to pray, whether you're in the DMV or in a grocery line, or in the traffic. 
pray. What a great time to pray. I've learned that. Sorry, I got a couple more here. Waiting does not mean neglect. Joseph is not being neglected in Egypt. He's waiting, and he has no idea when God's going to come and say it's time to go back, but he is not being neglected by God. And if you are waiting for God to act and to do something, it's not because you're being neglected. It's because you're not ready. And it's because God is not ready. And you just need to wait. And then my final one is this. I've learned patience, but you have to ask Bonnie about that one. (laughs) Not long before his death, Henry Nouwen wrote a book called uh, about, about the trapeze artist called the Flying Rudellas. And no one, uh, Henry Nouwen said there's, there's a special, this is what they said in their book, is there's a special relationship between, on the trapeze, between the, the uh, catcher and the flyer. The catcher's the one that catches, the flyer's the one that lets go and just extend into the air. And it says this, the flyer's the one that lets go and the catcher's the one who catches. As the flyer swings high above the crowd on the trapeze, the moment comes when he must let go. He arcs out into the air. His job is to remain as still as possible and wait for the strong hands of the catcher to block, pluck him from the air. Let me read that again. His job is to let go. His job then is to remain as still as possible and wait for the strong hands of the catcher to pluck him from the air. One of the flying rudellas told Nowen, the flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must wait in absolute trust. The catcher will catch him, but he must wait. God's there for you. God is going to catch Joseph. Joseph doesn't know when. He doesn't know how long he's extended out into the air, how long he's going to be Egypt, but he knows this, God will catch him. Eugene Peterson said this, in prayer, we are aware that God is in action and that when the circumstances are ready, when others are in the right place, when our hearts are prepared, he will call us into action. Waiting in prayer is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. The second thing that Joseph has to do in Egypt is he needs to be assured that God has a plan. And this is a verse that Bonnie and I often uh, often use in varied situations. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. If Joseph can remember that in Egypt, you know how long he can stay in Egypt? A long, long time. Because he can go there and he's going to wait. And God will catch him. God has a plan. The third, behold, is in the text that I'm actually preaching on, is this. And he, Joseph, 
Rose, and well, we're not there yet, but continuing on. He, uh, Joseph rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. He rose, he took, and he went. Three verbs again. Joseph, what I learned from this is Joseph is serious about listening to the Lord. He's real serious about it. He's serious about obeying. Leadership in a family means you take God's word seriously. You don't nod. Yeah, that's true. Yep, amen. Good preaching, Stu. Amen, Brother Stuart. And then you go home and live life like you never heard the word of the Lord. You take God seriously. It's a verb. Reading scripture ought to be a verb. You read, you act. He's serious about this. He's serious because he understood that the child was his mission. The child was his mission. Everything revolves around the child. How many of you have children? Raise your hands. How many of you have grandchildren? How many of you have nephews or nieces? Everything, would you agree? Everything revolves around children. Schools, sports, music, church. And we learned something from jo- important here from Joseph. We learned that marriage is not about a husband and wife, is it? Marriage is important. It is about a husband and wife. We need to take that seriously. But scripture teaches us through Joseph's example that children are the mission of marriage. Children are the mission. Your marriage has a mission. Did you ever think about that? Bonnie started talking to me about that. I was like, oh, that's amazing. That's true. And here it is. Your marriage has a mission. And if you're single or you have no children, there are plenty of children to take care of in the church and plenty of children to make sacrifices for. And children become our mission. What's so interesting is in the resurrection, Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples, and they're eating around uh, fish. And Jesus says to Peter, first thing he says to Peter, he says, feed my lambs. Even before he says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And you understand what Jesus is saying there? Children are your mission, Peter. First, first, children are your mission. So, Marsha, thanks for being the leader of the children at this church. I asked Matt's permission to call out Marsha. (laughs) And he assured me it would be okay. But I have to. Because it's so apostolic, that mission is so important. It's important to Peter. It's important to Jesus. It's important to Joseph. It needs to be important to us, children in this church. I'll tell you one thing. If there's a great preacher and an okay children's program and a okay preacher and a great children's program, what church are they going to go to? They're going to go to the church with a great children's program. As long as the preaching is okay. Right? I mean, they're not going to go to a radical church. But if they go, well, that preacher's pretty good, but that children's program is amazing, that's where they're going to go. Because children are the mission. They're the mission. And this is why children need to be the mission of every church. Okay, we're getting ready to wrap up, okay? I know you're going, okay, Stuart. 
I want some of your candy. <laughs> but when he, Joseph, heard that Archelaus, Archelaus is the brother of Herod, and one thing you realize when you read the New Testament is everybody's called Herod in the New Testament. There's more Herods than there are anything else. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in a place, uh, in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there and uh, being want, uh, warned in a dream, he withdrew to this district of Galilee and he, Jesus, went and lived in a city of, called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. The thing I like about this verse is that, um, is that Joseph has his ear to the ground. An angel doesn't have to tell him that Archelaus is a bad guy. And Archelaus is as bad as Herod, okay, his father. Every bit of that. Before he was even, before he was even uh, uh, Rome had installed him, he had killed 6,000 Jews in, on one day. One day, just, you know, just like Herod, no difference. And Joseph has his ears to the ground because what's Joseph's responsibility? To protect the family to save the Savior, to take care of Mary, the family. So what I like about him is he's got his ear to the ground and he has his ear to the word of God, both. So I, here's my question to you. Is your ear to the ground? Do you know what forces are out there that influence your children? Because you, fathers especially, but mothers too, are responsible for your family. Do you know what forces out there are influencing your kids? Do you know what a social influencer is, parents? Do you know what a social influencer there is? There's actually people called social influencers because they want to influence your family. Do you know what your children are learning in school? Big revelation happened during COVID. All the kids went to school on computer, and guess what happened? Parents watched what they were being taught, and parents became horrified in many school districts, not all, but in many of what their kids were being taught. It's changed the landscape of education. Do you know what your children are learning in school? Do you know what they're reading in school, out of school? Do you know what they're watching on TV? Do you know what music they're listening to? Which becomes more important with junior high kids, senior highs? few questions and then we're done. How many times has Joseph has changed his plans for the child? A lot, right? Parents, that's our job. Dads, that's your job. How many times does Joseph have to move with the child? How long will we need to watch out for the child? I think this is, a, this is a wonderful passage for me. I, I, I love this passage. So here are some of my takeaways. One, leadership takes the role that's required. So I'm speak, speaking specifically uh, to men because this is a, a passage about Joseph, but women too. Um, leadership, think of the roles that Joseph required. Joseph was required to take Mary as his wife. A great cost to himself. 
Joseph was required to make an adoption. Joseph was required to leave and go down to Egypt. Joseph was required to listen to the word of the Lord. Joseph was required to follow the word of the Lord. Joseph was required to leave Egypt. This is true in all positions. My definition of leadership is leaders take the role that's required. It's not always the same role. It shifts, it changes. And it did for Joseph, and it does for us. We need to listen to the Lord to know how that role needs to change. Two, learn to wait, especially upon God. I don't know if you're a good waiter or not. I was not until I couldn't walk. And then I didn't have a choice. And then I had to learn how to wait. Learn how to wait. There's so much to be learned in waiting. And then lastly, children are our mission. Children are the mission of family, the mission of a marriage. But children are our, the church's mission. Let us pray. It's all about the child. And we thank you. We thank you for this child that shortly we call Jesus. It's already been called Christ in the very first verse of Matthew. And whose death will be so incredibly consequential, not only to the nation of Israel, but to all people in all places throughout all time. And so, Lord, we pray that we would learn the lessons that we'd hear, not only hear, but we'd understand, and understanding we'd obey. Just like Joseph. Just like Joseph. And we ask this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.